So we're in the book of Ruth. How many of you here, how many weren't here last week? How many of you weren't here last week? Okay. We're in Ruth chapter two in the Old Testament. Find that on your app or turn in your Bibles. It's right after the book of Judges. So it's kind of early in the Old Testament. And so we're just doing a series on Ruth. Um, Matt will be back next Wednesday to continue chapter three. So a recap of chapter one, if you weren't here, and if you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, um, it's pretty much tragedy. In fact, this would probably make a pretty good movie, unless Hollywood would mess it up, you know, which they kind of always do, but um, it's, all, it's all about tragedy. Chapter one is, is just nothing but hard. Um, the theme of Ruth is redemption. Uh, the key player, uh, the, the key, the, 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 the well, it kind of starts like this. There's a, there's a gal named Naomi. She's from Bethlehem. And her husband is Elimelech. And they have two sons, Malon and Chilion. And what happens is in Bethlehem, which is interesting because the name means house of bread, there's a famine. There's a famine in the house of bread. And this is during the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was a, was a really, really rough time for the children of Israel. It wasn't a good time. It was super difficult, super hard. And after the judges ended, uh, there would be King Saul, which continued hard, but um, after him, David. So uh, because of the famine, this small family leaves Judah, leaves Bethlehem, and they go to all places, Moab. And if you've study a little bit in the Bible. Moab's just a tough place, just a tough place to be. I don't know why they went there. I don't know where they're at in their walk with the Lord. Not everyone exited Bethlehem. Probably very few did. But that's what this family did. They went to Moab. And when they got to Moab, the two sons married. And one of those daughters from Moab, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, her name was Ruth. And that's that's uh, the main person in our story tonight. But what happens is, after 10 years in Moab, uh, worse than famine has happened to Naomi because Elimelech, her husband's dead. He died in Moab. And her two sons died in Moab. So she has no other option, I guess, but to go back to Bethlehem where she might be cared for. Plus, she's heard that there's food again in Bethlehem. So she's going to go back alone, really. And she has those two daughter-in-laws who want to go with her, but she, she convinces one of them, Orpha, to stay, that her life would be better in Moab. But Ruth, Ruth goes with her. And we don't have, because we're not of that culture of that time, we have no idea what that would look like for her, but it would be really, really a tough decision because for Ruth, it would mean... She would, she, would, she would, unless some extraordinary thing happened, she would never marry again. It would mean that she would live in a country that is, she would be an unwelcome foreigner because the Moabites would beat up on the Israelites all the time. She would represent a cruel culture. Uh, the, God, the God of Israel would be different than her gods. It, she had everything to lose and nothing, literally nothing to gain except she was super, super loyal to Naomi. A loyalty that I don't think you see often in this life. So she, Ruth, leaves with Naomi and they go back to Bethlehem. That's chapter one. 
So we're going to pick it up in chapter two. We're going to look at the first three verses. We're just going to break this into five sections here. So Ruth chapter two, verses one through three. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Verse three, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So they typically built cities in those days on hills. Bethlehem was on a hill. And these, these fields or these farms would be down lower where there's more water. So she probably left, walked down, and she went out down to this, found, found this big field. And it's just interesting. Boaz, the name Boaz means strength, or actually it means standing in strength, if you want the full definition. That's what the name Boaz means. And he really is the hero of the story. You could almost say Ruth is the hero of the story. But Boaz is the male hero of the story. It's interesting is Boaz would be Solomon's great-great-grandfather. That's how this story, it's just amazing how this thing ends, chapter 4. But Boaz would be Solomon's great-great-grandfather. And when Solomon built that first big temple, remember, it took years and years, he built that amazing temple. He had two giant bronze pillars in front of the temple, giant things. And one of them, they had names, and one of them was named Boaz. <laughs> that he named that column, that huge bronze column, after his great-great-grandfather. So we know Boaz is a, an amazing man. He's a picture, more importantly, of Jesus. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Remember in Luke, I don't know, chapter or whatever, late, late in, the, in the book of Luke, when those disciples... Jesus had died, and, and a couple of disciples were heading to Emmaus. Remember that story? And they did not know that he had resurrected yet. And lo and behold, Jesus caught up with them. And they told Jesus about himself, evidently, about his death. And, and Jesus would go on to explain the scriptures to, to, to these guys and explain how, how he, how Jesus, was seen throughout the Bible through the Old Testament prophets and through the, through the, through, through, all through the Old Testament. I, and I wonder if when Jesus was explaining to these two disciples who eventually figured out it was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, I wonder if he went to Ruth. I wonder if he went to the book of Ruth and said, okay, Boaz, okay, guys, remember Boaz? That was a picture of me. That's a picture of Jesus. I wonder if that happened. It could have. So he's the hero of our story, Boaz, and he's a picture of Jesus. So gleaning, you see in verse 3, she left and went and gleaned in the field. That's what she went to do. So gleaning was God's way of feeding the poor. That's how God did it. There were always poor people. There were people that couldn't work for all kinds of reasons. But he, he didn't give them, God's, through the, through, the law, through the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, the way he would feed you know, hungry people, they would glean which means they would, they would get into the field or the vineyard and they would, they would take what's left. That's basically gleaning. 
the verse I talk, that talks about it, one of the verses is Leviticus 19, actually 9 and 10, two verses. And this, listen, Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of the harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape in your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord. That's how God did it. Now it's a little different. And we won't go into that. It's a little different nowadays. A little bit different. It's not as good. That was, this is a good way of doing it. You had, to, you had to still do some work to get your food. But it was, it was made available through gleaning. So Israel was an agrarian society. It was all about food. It was all about raising food, storing food. And just to give you a little bit of an idea what the, what the reapers were doing, I just have a short little video. I don't know what language it's in. Probably don't want to know. But, uh, oh, Joshy, is that the end? Or is, I think we go back to the beginning, if you have it. That would look like the beginning. Is that what you got, Josh? Oh, all right. That's not what I want. So, forget about that. That's the very end of what I wanted you to see. At the very beginning of this video, what, what happens is this guy, this guy has got this sickle-like thing. Oh, perfect. This is how, this is, this is how they would do it. And he takes a handful of wheat and he lays it just a handful by handful and he turns it into a sheave and eventually they gather the sheaves up. Imagine doing that all day. The harvests were normally about six weeks long. And then they gather the sheaves and what's left that's not, what's not reaped is for the gleaners. Maybe not in this culture but certainly in this one. So that's how they did it. It was hard. And so that's gleaning. Or that's, that's, yeah, that's reaping and gleaning. Now, if they, they would actually leave as much as, as 30% after, when you're reaping. They'd leave about 30%, as much as 30% for the gleaners to pick up. And I would imagine Boaz would be one of those generous ones like that. God was really, was really he really pounded it into the Israelites to not... Hog the whole harvest for yourself. Leave some behind. It's really important. So it brings up a question for me, for you too perhaps. What are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind? That's what the reapers were supposed to do. They were supposed to leave something behind. Because people are gleaning after you. And they're gleaning after me. You may not know that. But people pick up. That's what Gleaner did. He picked up stuff. People are picking up stuff from you. And they're picking up stuff from me all the time. They're behind you. They're probably out of your radar a little bit, but they're watching. They're listening. And it's really important as a believer to remember that they're gleaning. They're following you. Not just your kids. Certainly your kids, no doubt. But others, too. They're picking up your bad habits. They're picking up your good habits. And so for me, I was thinking about this when I was growing up. How many, how many of you feel like you know me fairly well? Raise your hand if you feel like, yeah, I pretty much kind of know that guy. 
And how many of you like me? Keep your hands up. <laughs> keep them high. Even if you don't know me, just keep, yeah. Okay. When you see me, when you hear me, you see my dad. 100%. I totally, totally glean from him. Completely. I didn't know. I was a kid. What am I going to be? How am I going to be? How am I going to think? I was just a, an open book. So I gleaned from my dad. And I'm so glad I did. Because if you like me, you would really like him. I watched everything he did. I watched how he treated people, mainly. I watched how he... Um, humored people, how he, and he, he's way better than me, actually. I, I just try to grab some things. He was way better than what you see here. But the point is, somebody, probably a lot of somebodies are gleaning from you. Students, friends, neighbors, kids, people you work with, they're picking up from you. <laughs> so it's really important what you're leaving behind. You never can forget that somebody's, somebody's gleaning from you. I'm so thankful that I was able to glean from my dad because I wasn't sure how to think and live. I'm just a kid. So I gleaned from somebody I thought that was good. And, and, and so I really appreciate that. Verse 3 says, She happened to come into a part of the field belonging to Boaz. So how did Ruth happen to come to a field? How did she happen to come to Boaz's field? I think... I think there's a lot more that goes on than happenings, you know what I mean? I think she was divinely directed. It probably didn't feel like it. In fact, I think much of what God does in directing our lives doesn't really feel like him directing our lives. But circumstances happen and things just they kind of move us certain directions. And I think that's what happened. Uh, she didn't just happen into a field. She was directed in a providential way. And you are too. You're being directed. Um, God is looking out for us. It's, it's interesting on Tuesday, today's Wednesday, Tuesday morning, I took my wife to the airport, Medford, early, and I, um, I remember driving, driving back home from the airport to an elders meeting here. I was a little late for, but uh, the, my car was kind of drifting to the right a little bit, I think. You know how it is? You guys don't know. Gals, you won't even know what I'm talking about here. But guys, <laughs> it doesn't quite feel right. Maybe a few gals. But most guys, like... It's kind of, and I kind of, kind of, I'm thinking, I might have a low tire, right side. But I get to the elders meeting, completely forget about it. Completely. And it's really not good to not address those things. So after elders meeting, we have staff meeting. Staff meeting, Ed Bancuti, who works here part-time, um, kind of an administrative, financial um, advisor for us here at Edgewater, which we really appreciate. He says, Mark. You have a nail in your right front tire. And I said, Ed, how would you know that? And he said, well, so of all the parking places, when he came Tuesday morning, he parked next to me, right? A lot of parking places out there, not a lot of cars, not like right now. He parks next to me. And it just so happened that that right, it just so happened, there's the key word, that that right front tire had turned and there's a shiny head of a nail. When he gets out of his car, he just happens to look at my tire, which happened to have the shiny head of the nail at the perfect spot. So he tells me I've got to get, which I did. 
Now, that could have just happened. Ruth could have just happened to enter into Boaz's field, but I just think God's way more providential. I think there's stuff happening in your world every day that you have no sense of as being God's providential leading, but he really is leading because he loves you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's a good what? Shepherd. And shepherds lead sheep. Shepherds love sheep. And you are loved and led by the best. Nothing just happens. Nothing happened in this story. It just doesn't work that way. So let's look at the next few verses, four through seven. Now behold, Ruth came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, I'm sorry, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she, and she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So Ruth is, is at work. Dives into this, into this gleaning thing, which is super hard, super tedious. Um, you don't get a lot. You don't get a lot for all your work. But what caught my eye when I, when I was looking through this is, is I'm going to call it the kindness of Boaz in verse 4. Uh, now behold, Boaz came to Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. He's just friendly. He greets these guys. And in this culture, people who worked for you, that didn't always happen. The owner was the boss. The boss was the big wig. He didn't even need to say hi. He didn't say hi to people most of the time. This is a really friendly guy, a nice guy. And he, and he, and he was kind with his tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I think Boaz just, he just, he spoke well. I made up a saying, at least I think I made it up. Maybe someone in here said it. Maybe Matt did. But I have this saying, change your words, change your world. Change your words, change your world. I think that's true. You create a world with your words more than any other thing. When Jesus, or when God, I should say, created the heavens and the earth, remember how he did it. He didn't dance it into existence. He didn't think it into existence all the way he could have. He spoke it into existence. And at the end of every day, he would look back at what he had spoken, and he said, it was, it was good. And it was beautiful. It was better than good. And you can create a world, too. I believe it with all my heart. We're made in the image of God. And in some small way, but not insignificant, we create worlds, too with our mouth. And I think Boaz was a great example of that. They will not know we are Christians by our theology. They will not know we are Christians by our movable walls. Although those are lovely things. They will know we are Christians by our what? By our love. It'll never change. None of that will ever change. And they're going to know that love the, the most, the quickest, by what we say. You know, recently, um, just last Friday, um, my wife and I drove up to Astoria, and we went to visit a friend of ours who is a cruise director on a cruise ship 
that happened to be docked at Astoria for three hours, three or four hours. It was on Friday. Is it Friday? Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Friday or Saturday. Anyway, so we got on, we went to this ship, and um, the name of the ship was the Crystal Symphony. It's Crystal Cruises. They're symphony boats, so it's Crystal Symphony. They have two boats. The Crystal Cruise Company has two boats. Now, I don't know, how many of you guys have been on a cruise before? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, good. So, you're, I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing if you've been on a cruise. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and there's always this, um, and that's not a contest, but there's this, there's this desire, this need to have the newest boats, the biggest, newest. And the boats are getting bigger and bigger. There's boats now that are like small cities. They're just huge. They're gigantic. They would make the Titanic just dwarfed in, the, in how much they can hold. But this, this crystal, it's called Crystal Symphony. Is, uh, crystal, by the way, is a six-star cruise line. Many say it's the best all-inclusive cruise line in the world. It's not cheap, but it's, it's amazing. And they're all amazing, but this is like six-star. That's what they call it. But what's interesting is the boat I was on wasn't built in 2015 or 2016 or 2017 or 2018. Or The boat I was on, one of their two boats, was built in 1995. That is an old, old boat. It's not the fancy. Sorry, Dave. It's not the new fancy style. The new ones are way, 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 way bigger, way fancier. It holds uh, 848 passengers. The big one's... The big ones now hold thousands, thousands three, four, five thousand people. And then you have the crew to go with it. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm walking around this relatively speaking old boat and small boat. Doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you'd have in a new boat. Not nearly. And I'm thinking, what in the world? How is this thing a six star? Why does many people call it the best cruise? I'll tell you one reason, not the only reason. People were really nice. <laughs> Man, I have never been so welcomed in my life. It's like Boaz. He just had this welcoming, this how are you? Like you think, you, you would think you're the most important person in the world when you're walking around that cruise ship. And it's not just your, your server. We had a, a meal there. It wasn't just your server. Every single person stopped looked at us, made eye contact, stopped what they're doing, made eye contact, and just welcomed us on board. And we went everywhere in the ship except the engine room because this guy works, he's a, you know, he, he works for him. He's the cruise director. So we went into the engine room, or not the engine went into the front, uh, or the, the bridge, the bridge. The captain's up there. You know, he's got all the, you know. It's weird when you're the captain of a ship. It's like, whoa. You know. I don't even know what you do to a captain of a ship. And so he, he, I, I, I'm like his new best friend, the captain of the ship. Everybody was so nice. They greeted me, greeted us, made us feel welcome everywhere we went. Any little remote hallway, someone back in some back loop, they stopped, put everything down, looked at us, and greeted us. It's amazing. That's what Boaz did. And that's what you should do too. That's my point. It's not hard. How hard is it to stop what you're doing, make eye contact with somebody, and just say, hey, it's good to see you. You don't have to say welcome on board. That would be kind of weird. <laughs> but 
how are you doing? How hard is that? That's one of the things that makes them. I, I ran across this. Uh, I was going to show it, but I didn't. There's like a. Um, it was Crystal's 30, Crystal Cruises 30 guidelines or something. And it was 30 things that they do. It was a, it was a culture. It was a culture thing. It's just their culture. I don't it once, And the thing is, once you do it, once everybody's doing that, just greeting and being kind, it's just contagious. It's so beautiful. And I don't know if it's an act. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're really thinking. But it, it's a really good way of living. And I just think we should be Crystal Cruise right here. This should be all about us. It should be impossible. It should be impossible to have somebody come in here. Impossible. And not have them greeted by a number of people. How many people did you greet tonight? Don't tell. Don't tell me. Especially strangers. How many people did you greet tonight? How hard would it be if we all just said, hey, I want that kind of a Boaz attitude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a world with my words, a beautiful world. That's what he did. That's what we should do. We should do it because we're born again. We should do it because we've got the joy of the Holy Spirit. I, they probably do it for the money. I don't know why they do what they do at Crystal Cruise Lines, but it is the most gorgeous world. I don't care if the boat was an 18 95 boat. I would go on it if people are that nice to you everywhere. And they are. I'm sure they are. That's who we should be. That's who I want to be. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done by your mother-in-law, for for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, And how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay, repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So what? I mean, this is just an, an ongoing example of how, what a beautiful world this guy creates, Boaz. And again, he's a picture of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus we heard about on Sunday, if you were here on Sunday. This, this, is, this is who he is. He speaks well of you. He speaks well to you. So what he does, amongst other things in that dialogue, he offers her two things that are super important to her and to us. Safety and significance. Two basic human needs. You're safe with me and you're important to me. And if you ever want to translate something beautiful to people, kids, friends, 
safety and significance. Nothing satiates. Nothing satiates better than that. And that's what Boaz did for her. Are you not safe in his arms tonight? The Bible says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You are safe. Again, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. We're safe. And are we not significant to him tonight? We're his adopted sons and daughters. That speaks of significance, I think. We're the adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth, <laughs> Eternally, eternal past, eternal. We're his kids tonight. If you're a believer, we are. It's amazing. So on a kind of a, maybe a fun note, I don't know. How many of you think, raise your hand if you think, how many of you think for Boaz it was love at first sight? How many of you think that? I mean, he's really, really, really being nice to her. She is a foreigner. Raise him again. Love at first sight. Okay, how many of you think he's just a really nice guy, a godly guy, and he's, he's just being nice? I mean, he's just being a totally cool dude, which he is, no doubt. I haven't a clue. But um, um, I did read one commentary, and this guy was convinced. I mean, he was convinced. This is a love story. He's, this, this commentator, who's a very well-known commentator, just said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was smitten by her. I don't know. You know, it makes for an interesting story. But it can happen. You know, love at first sight. When I saw my wife, for the first time, it was one of those things right there. (laughs) July 1977, red sundress, Tucson, Arizona. Who are you? Oh, phenomenally pretty. And I was just at that place in my life, I guess, where I was looking for somebody phenomenally pretty to settle down with. I guess. I don't know. You don't know what's going on inside of you, but dude, it happens. It happens. So I don't know. Maybe it happened here. I don't know. But look at verse 10. Um, one thing I appreciate about Ruth is she never forgot she never forgot. She fell on her face and bowed down to the ground. Verse 10, and said to him, why have you found favor? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She never forgot that she was a foreigner and an outcast. You know, the story turns out really well as we continue through the study in the next couple of Wednesdays. But she never, I don't think she ever forgot where she came from. And somehow I think there's value in that for us. I think once in a while you have to remember from whence we've come. Compared to a holy God, we are a foreigner and we are an outcast, born into sin. We didn't get trained to sin. We knew how to sin right out of the womb. We just knew how to be selfish. We just know how to do that stuff. And we've been so loved. We've been so loved. And we will be so loved for the rest of our days. But once in a while... I don't know if it's not good to dwell there all the time, but once in a while, it might be good to bow your face to the ground just like her and say, how in the world did you give me such grace? That's a healthy thing to do. Maybe tonight you'll go home before you get in bed. If it's hard to get up from the ground, just kind of lean over the bed (laughs) and just say, Jesus, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I am just so much like Ruth. How in the world 
did you find me? How did I find you? It didn't just happen. Oh, thank you. And just bow, bow to him. I love what she did. So if Boaz is a picture of Jesus, Ruth is a picture of us. We have a holy God and he loves us. So let's look at the 14 through 16. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Remember, this is the first day they've met. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. First day they've met. Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar or wine, it could have been. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her. That would be, that would be cooked grain, eatable grain. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She was so kind. And when she rose to be up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Oh boy, that's going to be awesome. And do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So it's pretty amazing. He extends what I would say to, to Ruth, and this is a word we heard a lot on Sunday. He extends a great grace to her. Grace, as you know, you guys know this, is undeserved, unmerited favor. That's what Boaz is doing. He's extending undeserved, unmerited favor. And does not Jesus, Boaz being that picture of Jesus, does he not extend that to you tonight? And every night, for that matter. He would say in Ephesians 2, 8, my grace, by grace you are saved through faith. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Peter 3, 18 says this, but listen, but grow in grace. He's talking to the believer, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you growing in grace? I'm growing in lots of ways, but I don't know if I'm growing in grace. Am I growing, are you growing, are we growing in giving out undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor to people? Because that's the grace that Peter says we need to grow in. That's the grace. And grace, as we sang, may be amazing, but it's not easy. Grace is not easy. Extending grace is hard. Extending grace doesn't make any sense sometimes. But we've been extended great grace, have we not? Great favor from the king of kings. And he says, now you be like me. Be like Boaz. It's hard. It's something that's really important for us to think about from time to time. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out, I'm sorry, yeah, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. That's when she ate. She kept some of the food when she was eating, gave it to her mother-in-law. She's super sweet. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law from whom she, from, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. 
Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she comes back that first night with an ephah of barley. And an ephah of barley would be about equal to what we would call a bushel of barley. And a bushel of barley weighs 48 pounds. She came back with 48 pounds of barley. I don't know what Naomi was thinking she was going to bring back. It might have been a little something like this, but gleaning all day. She brings back this giant, giant, whatever, bag of barley. So it's an amazing thing. But here's a question for you based on that. What have I gleaned today? By that I mean this. We have people following us, gleaning from us, but what have I gleaned today? Spiritually, what have I gleaned today? This week, this month, what have I gleaned? What have I been picking up spiritually? What spiritual truths are you meditating on? Are you gleaning? What, what are you gleaning devotionally with the Lord? What are you gleaning in your prayer life? She came back with a 48 pounds of barley. <laughs> she had done well in her gleaning. And my personal belief is God would give you 48 pounds of barley every day if you wanted it. If that's what you want. He'll give you whatever you want. But I hope you're gleaning something. And I hope you're not settling for a little measly gleaning of spiritual things, a little handful of manna. I would pray that you would want to glean more than that. And if you want to glean more, God, Boaz, picture of God, Jesus How he does it, I don't know, but you will get so much more. If you desire, if that's your heart's cry, he will will provide. He'll provide in your gleaning beyond what you could imagine. So at this point, Naomi is kind of looking past the barley to the big picture. At this point in the chapter, we're virtually done here. She realizes that Boaz, she knows that Boaz is a close relative of Naomi. And he's therefore what the the Hebrew text calls a goel. A goel. And the the, the Hebrew word goel is used 64 times in the Old Testament. And it's the same Hebrew word used for both kinsman and redeemer. Goel, Hebrew word. So often when you see the word goel or hear about it spoken, it's called a kinsman Redeemer, kinsman redeemer, Goel. And that's going to be a really important term. What a Goel does is super important in this story, but we're going to talk about that more next week. We'll go into what a Goel does. So I want to close off this, this time with these thoughts. Chapter two, this chapter, it starts in hunger, but it ends in abundance. One day, hungry, 48 pounds of barley. It starts in loneliness, and it ends up in a relationship. It starts in hopelessness, and it ends in hopefulness. 
And every day, including tonight in this place, you are somewhere tonight. I'm not talking about a month ago or a year ago, but tonight, you're somewhere in that chapter. We're all somewhere in that chapter. We're somewhere between, oh man, I, this is a bummer. I do not know what's going on in my life. It's just hopeless, I'm lonely, I'm whatever. I don't necessarily want to be. And it can swing all the way tonight. You could be at a place, you're like a 48-pound barley person tonight. Things are going well, loving Jesus, life is good, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Hopefully you're all there. But chances are, a crowd this big, not everybody's there. I'm not always there, that's for sure. I'm not always 48-pound barley guy. I am swinging in the middle so often. So I guess I just want you to remember this. Boaz, or Jesus for us, he's our kinsman. He's the son of man. He's a kinsman. He knows knows where you're at. He knows who you are. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're experiencing. He cares more than you care, probably. He's completely aware of what's going on in your world. There's nothing happening that he's not aware of. And that's really important. But he's also your redeemer. (laughs) He's the son of God, not just the son of man. He's the kinsman redeemer. And as a kinsman redeemer, um, I just have to remind you, he loves you beyond anything you can comprehend. And I would suggest this for those that might be at the lesser end of Ruth tonight, Ruth chapter two, more like, oh, I've got to, I've got, I've got to start gleaning some things. I've got, to start, I've got to start getting out of the funk. I, just, I would just remind you tonight, because what comes with the early part of chapter two, that feeling of like, oh, angst and hopelessness, is you can start to say, well, I don't know how good God is. Because if God was really good, I'd have 48 pounds of barley every day because that's what I want. But that's not life. And it's, it's a bummer when we start looking at God in ways that I don't think are right. It doesn't take us to a good place. So for me personally, if this works for you, grab it. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. When I feel like I'm living in the earlier part of the chapter, questions, and not always about me. As a pastor, you get in the, in the middle of all kinds of stuff, and you see things you never thought you'd see, and you get involved with stuff that, you know... You just get involved with stuff, and it's not always um, it's not always easy or pretty. But it's where you end up, and there's a place. There's a good place to be, I guess. But um, so I can I can I can get like, wow, what's going on? And so this is what I do. instead of basing what I think God is or isn't doing on my happenings or my circumstances or what I'm hearing or seeing or what's going around me, I always try to go to the cross. I go to the cross, and I say, does, does he love me? Yes. (laughs) Is he good? Yes. Can he be trusted? Yeah. That's where I make my call. I don't base it. I try not to base it on my happenings. Happenings are good. Happenings are bad. But the cross is the cross, is the cross, is the cross, is the cross. That's where I go. 
And I go, okay, I'm, that's my starting point. He's good. He's, in, he's into this for me. He's, he's into me. He's into you. He's into us. That's what I do. So I want you to just take a second, just one minute. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to ask God to take one thing from tonight, just one thing. So close your eyes and do that. I'm going to pray in about one minute, but just ask God, lock into one thing that you want to take with you, that you want to chew on to take home tonight. Lord, we're like sheep. Sheep aren't the smartest critters out there. So, Lord, I would pray that there's just one simple thing that we would grab onto tonight to take home to think about, to treasure, to pray about, Lord. Your word says that it's dangerous even to be hearers of the word and not doers. And that's not who we want to be, Lord. We don't want to be hearers only. And so, Lord, help us to do something even if it's a small thing, with Ruth chapter two, Lord. May your spirit, Lord, impress that one thing on us, even now. And I pray, Lord, that whatever that one thing is, that it would be a great thing, that it would be an amazing thing. It would grow into 48 pounds of goodness, Lord, whatever it is. And so bless, I pray, my brothers and sisters, Lord. We just appreciate looking at you through the lens of Boaz, Lord. He's amazing. And Jesus, as good as Boaz is, you're a million times better. And we love you for that. Help us to trust you. Help us to move through a chapter, Lord, into better times, Lord, as only you can. Thank you for understanding our frailties. Thank you for the grace that you extend to us even tonight afresh. Your mercies are new every day. We love you, Jesus. We long to see you in heaven one day. We look forward to that time. But until then, help us to live this life well. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.